we've been pushing even harder to actually get past a permitting system and get us to real constitutional carry in Tennessee. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Lewis, founder of the Tennessee Conservative, and today John Harris, who serves as the executive director for the Tennessee Firearms Association, is joining us, and he has also been the legal consultant for four of the NRA ILA's lobbyists in Tennessee up through 2007. He has served as the volunteer lobbyist for the Tennessee Firearms Association Legislative Action Committee for more than two decades. Mr. Harris is the author of several publications. His most recent publication and the one in widest distribution is the book, Carrying a Handgun for Self-Defense in Tennessee. It's in its third edition. John has received recognition from the state of Tennessee repeatedly for his work with the Tennessee Firearms Association on Second Amendment issues. He specializes in many areas of Tennessee law that are related to firearms, explosives, self-defense involving the firearm operations of firearm ranges or firing ranges rather and other similar areas. So if you ever have to use explosives as a form of self-defense against a relative during a very contentious estate settlement case, as long as it's involving millions of dollars at a rifle range and things get sideways, John is your man to call. I know this from experience. I had that same situation happen to me a few years ago and John got me right out of it. John, welcome to the program, buddy. Thank you for having me today. Well, I'm glad you're here. So, John, uh, everyone who gets involved as an activist, uh, particularly in a legislative setting, has an interesting story. How did you get interested in Second Amendment rights in Tennessee? It does go back quite a ways. Uh, in my law practice, which I've been a practicing attorney now for 36 years, I was already representing some businesses that were in the firearms related industries, FFLs, security companies. And then in May of 94, uh, Tennessee adopted its first shall issue law. And that created a situation where people were applying to the sheriffs back at that point in time for handgun permits. And lots of them were getting denied because there were no clear standards contained hmm. in the prior law as to when a sheriff could and couldn't uh, deny a permit. And what had happened was the NRA had, had come into Tennessee in 94 and worked to pass a permitting law, but didn't do a very in-depth review of what Tennessee's law was at the time. And so the law that got passed was very inadequate. And so in 95, uh, 12 of us, myself and 11 others, formed the Tennessee Firearms Association uh, including one of the bill sponsors from the 94 Act for the purposes of taking a deeper look at Tennessee law and where we needed to make changes now that we were going to allow citizens to carry guns. So there's a lot of other statutes that need to be looked at that didn't get addressed in 94. And that's been a lot of what we've worked on for the last quarter century is trying to fix those areas that were ignored initially and now, for the last two decades, we've been pushing even harder to actually get past a permitting system and get us to real constitutional carry in Tennessee. So you talked a little bit about the formation of the Tennessee Firearms Association. So, you know, what is its ongoing mission and 
you know, what are y'all doing right now or have been doing? Uh, if you could just kind of give us a run up of some of your biggest accomplishments in that association as it regards Second Amendment rights. I know that we'll get to some of the things that are happening and have happened this year, but uh, if you could touch a few of the big milestones looking back over the past couple of, well, if it's 94, I guess it's almost three decades now. Almost. So talk about talk about some of the big things that have happened that have made Tennessee a better place to to, to live if you care about Second Amendment rights. We, we've had a lot of work over the last quarter century. Uh, like I said, it started off with a permitting law, but one that really wasn't very adequate. And, and so TFA started off initially as just a simple nonprofit that obtained 501c4 status with the IRS as an advocacy group. And we focused initially almost exclusively on just trying to work with the legislature to identify the problems and improve things. So we were extremely involved in the major rewrite of the law on permits in 96, which took the authority to issue them from the sheriffs and put it with the Department of Safety. That was a huge move in, in terms of standardizing the process across the state. We also began working immediately on repealing uh, the prohibitions on where a permit holder could carry. So we've, we've uh, completely eliminated, after 14 years of work, the prohibition on carrying in places that sell or serve alcohol. Now you can go into a restaurant, you just can't consume. We've been passing uh, exceptions for places like public parks, greenways, uh, carrying in a lot of other locations for hunters, for example. Uh, we've worked on range protection legislation. We've worked on no net loss, which means public hunting lands will have to be maintained at certain sustainable levels and not cut back, which is something the state's tried to do a few times and we've cut, cut in on that effort. Uh, we have worked on restoration of rights issues. We've worked on reciprocity issues. Uh, we've worked on some Tenth Amendment issues in terms of whether or not federal laws would apply in the state of Tennessee. So all of those have been sort of the core area for TFA, but, but we've also been expanding the scope of TFA. So for example, in 96, after we've been in existence for two years, we went ahead and formed a political action committee that we used to support candidates uh, for office and, and most frequently that we use to target incumbents that we think are stonewalling or blocking good legislation and try to replace them with more conservative stewards of our rights as opposed to, you know, big business Republicans or rhinos or liberal Democrats. I mean, it doesn't matter. We'll go after any political party because we're not party based. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have started increasingly in the last 10 years underwriting and supporting litigation. So TFA frequently joins with Second Amendment Foundation and Gun Owners of America to uh, fund the cost of, of uh, federal litigation on things like um, suppressors, right to carry in other jurisdictions. Anytime we're looking at an opportunity that would have impact if the case was properly decided on Tennesseans, we invest time, money, and resources. And frequently, I end up being the amicus attorney, so it doesn't cost TFA anything on that side. But we, for example, have been to the U.S. Supreme Court as amicus counsel uh, for gun-related cases uh, twice in the last three years. Wow, that's a big, that's a big deal. So <clears throat> there were multiple carry bills. I got an opportunity to hear a little bit 
of, of you speaking on this uh, as the, the sausage was being made um, and um, on um, Mr. Leahy's program. And there are multiple carry bills out there. Some of them were better, some of them were not. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what has just happened in the Tennessee House and, and the Senate this session and where we are and, and how do you think it's all going to end up? There are, in fact, three bills pending. Uh, one bill is still making progress. It is House Bill 1388. It is probably the most uh, constitutionally sound bill because what it does is it deletes the statute that says it's a crime to have a gun and carry it with the intent to go armed in Tennessee. Uh, it is still moving through the committee system and it could still pass. And if it does, to the extent it is an improvement over the governor's bill, it would supersede it because whatever the last bill to be enacted may be is the one that takes precedence. There's another bill, House Bill 18, that Representative Griffey has that is far better, we think, than the governor's bill because it says any person who can legally possess a firearm can carry it. And it also equates the concept under that bill of permitless carry with having the enhanced permit. So it opens up all the places that you have to have a permit as a defense, like a public park or a greenway. And then the third bill and is the governor's bill. And it, it literally is the worst of the three bills. Uh, it's mainly a $12 million crime package. It has included in it language that says uh, it's an exception to the crime of carrying with the intent to go armed if you meet about eight conditions. And those conditions, uh, some of them are current law, but they've added several. And, and our opposition to that is that you don't need all of these conditions or elements to a constitutional carry bill if that's what you want. And if all you wanna pass is another permitless carry bill, then like Senator Roberts said, you're not passing constitutional carry, you're just engaging in incrementalism. Very good. So, you know, you can take the fifth on this if you want to, but what is your take on Bill Lee? I, I, he seems like he, he, he seems like an affable enough fellow, but he does not seem like he has a whole lot of grounding in the bedrock principles of conservatism. He may very well be a Republican. A lot of people that get elected are, but I, I mean, I've, you know, not just on constitutional carry issues, not just on Second Amendment issues, but I've watched the way he's, he's managed this pandemic and seems to think that people's rights, liberties, et cetera, are just, you know, at whatever whim of the conditions of, of whatever happens to be going on. And um, and so I've just, I mean, ha has he, I mean, he introduced this likely for a little bit of PR cover, mm -hmm. but aside from that, I mean, where's this guy stand? Who's giving him information? Because I mean, boy, he's like a bed sheet in the wind. He's just it, all it, over the place. It, it is a, a clear indicator, at least in the second amendment arena, that he's not a true conservative or constitutional conservative. We, we paid a lot of attention back in 2017 when these races were taking place, in 2018 as well. And, and the, the candidate on the Republican ticket that was the strongest on constitutional carry, and she'd had a long history of it, was Senator May Beavers. You know, it's the problem of conservatives don't fund conservatives in big races. So she, she just couldn't sustain when you've got people like Randy Boyd, Diane Black, and Bill Lee that are 
multi-millionaires that self-funded their races. Mm-hmm. So as, as things developed, we started watching uh, the other candidates. And Bill Lee early on came and spoke with one of our chapters, and this was videotaped. And when he was asked specifically, did he support constitutional carry? First off, they had to explain it to him. But, but then he said, well, I've asked my law enforcement and, and his sheriff in particular, who he later appointed to be the director, the commissioner of the Department of Safety, Bill Long. Uh, he said, I asked him about constitutional carry, and he said it's a bad idea, and citizens shouldn't be carrying guns without permits, background checks, and training, so I don't support it. Now, that was his honest answer on the front end. And then it was interesting because as you would go to these forums where he would be on the podium and Senator Beavers would be on the podium and, and, and one of the others, uh, she would talk about constitutional carry and get a lot of support and applause. And then you saw this sort of morphing of Bill Lee's position from I don't support it at all to I think we ought to get rid of the fee but still have a permit and then he becomes governor and, you know, in February of 2020, after he'd been governor for a while and he'd done some political damage to himself as a quote conservative in other areas, all of a sudden he comes out and announces that he's going to file his own bill as opposed to supporting some bill that a legislator filed. He's going to file his own bill on constitutional carry. And we were excited to hear that until we saw the bill and we realized this isn't constitutional carry, it's crime package and it's got a defense to a criminal charge rather than recognizing that this is a right that's protected by the constitution with language that says it shall not be infringed by government. So is he, well, from our perspective, he's not a strong constitutional steward, at least on second amendment issues. Let me ask you a question, John. Do you drink liquids? Oh, coffee and tea. Well, very good. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. Guys, if you're watching this program and you appreciate conservatives out there and one of only two conservative news outlets in the state of Tennessee, if you will go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com and if you will support us at any amount, we will give you two proud Tennessee conservative bumper stickers that will come to you via mail. Even if you have to like steal it out of your grandma's sock drawer and you just stick it, just stuff it in an envelope and send it to us, we'll get this. We're not going to ask questions about where the money came from. And we'll also send you this directory of all your state and local representatives and the assembly. And it's got their phone numbers and it's got everything else. So if somebody's trying to pass one of these crappy bills that John doesn't like, then uh, <laughs> you, can, you can go there and, uh, and you'll get this. And you put it on your fridge and you could just call them daily. And if you get $50 or more, you'll get this beautiful proud Tennessee conservative tumbler. And if you put a 22 short in there and if you shake it up it, and you open the lid and dump it out, it comes out a 50 caliber round. And with the price of ammo being what it is, you can really appreciate the magical properties of these tumblers. Uh, so don't put a 50 cal in there because we've not tested that yet. We don't know what's going to come out of there. Back to the program. That's tennesseeconservativenews.com slash support. Um, so I've been... You probably don't know about my background because we didn't spend a lot of time talking. I worked for Senator Corker and Congressman Desjardins. I wrote a book called How to Raise Money for Political Office. So I've been in and around state, local, and federal stuff running on the campaign side. Took a six-year hiatus, and the lockdowns brought me back out of hiding from my private business that I run where I coach business owners all over the U.S. in the construction industry. 
And what I have been noticing as these bills have been passing through subcommittee is, and committees, is the just like remarkable amount of, I don't know if it's rhino breeding season in Tennessee, but these people can't pass. I mean, they are just like clueless when it comes to uh, what, what it really means to be a conservative. And if, if, if a few people from a PAC write them a check and, and a few lobbyists walk in their office so they don't have to think or raise money, they'll do just about anything uh, in many cases, as long as it doesn't cause them too much heartburn or they think that they can get away with it because of either tenure or lack of information. And it's so cryptic and hard to understand. And of course, none of the liberal media outlets want to report on it because they, they like the liberal stuff to just happen in secret, never see any ink. Uh, and then the Republicans, of course, hate the conservative press because they're actually holding them in account to, to be conservative. What have you found to be, you know, if you're, if you're a Second Amendment, um, if you're a Second Amendment enthusiast, and if these bills are going through committee and subcommittee, or even if they're about to be voted on on the House floor, what, did, what, did, what has been the, the best strategy that you have found for holding Republicans to account to just simply be conservative. I mean, because all they got to do is vote with their district. That's all you got to do really in the end of the day, at the end of the day. And most people in your district want you to be as conservative as possible if you want primary. So talk a little bit about that, what you've seen, because you've been at this since 94, uh, you know, give some activists and, and, and other people who are watching a little bit of advice. Well, th that is a great point. And it's a huge problem in Tennessee. If you'll take Bill Lee's permitless carry bill, for example. Senate Judiciary Chairman Mike Bell said when he presented the bill, because Bell presented it rather than the bill sponsor when it was up in Senate Judiciary, he, he said, is it everything that we want in a permitless carry bill? No. He said, but it's, it's all that we can get right now, and it does kick the ball down the field a little further. And then Senator Roberts, who is also on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and chairs another committee, he said the same thing. Is it constitutional carry? No, but it is incrementalism. And because it moves us in that direction, I'm going to support it. Then Representative William Lambert, the House sponsor, made a comment in, I believe, House Finance when he presented it and was answering some questions. And he said, no, this doesn't reflect everything that the Second Amendment protects, but it's the biggest bite of freedom that we can get at this time and I'm paraphrasing, and then recently, Speaker Cameron Sexton was on the radio here in Nashville and was asked the question by the host and, and said, finally, that it wasn't constitutional carry. He says, but it is a step forward, but, and we're going to have to push and fight to get to real constitutional carry. Why would you have to push and fight if you're a Republican, you're sitting on a damn subcommittee or a committee would push to fight for what? Y'all are on well, the well, same that's five it. team. Exactly. We have a Republican governor and we have a Republican supermajority in both the House and the Senate. And these chairmen are telling us it's the most that we're able to obtain. Well, who are they who's, submitting to? Nancy who's, Pelosi? Who's stopping it? Well, we think we know uh, from some information we've, we've been given. One of the one of the blockers was going to be, we think quite clearly, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. Now that's coming to us from some legislators on back channels because McNally hasn't come out and said that, but that's where some of the resistance is coming from. Well, well, who's who's asking him to stop it? I mean, what kind of possible 
benefit. I just don't understand. Usually I'm pretty good. I mean, I mean, I guess I used to I raise money. I could look at his finance disclosures and get back disclosures and get back to you. But I mean, is there an anti-gun lobby given to a Republican? Is, worth, is, he, is he afraid he's going to lose some Republican votes? I mean, if, if he's blocking it, what's he, what in the world is he worried about? Well, the, the anti-gun lobby does exist in Tennessee, and it's in the name of the Tennessee Sheriff's Association, the Tennessee Chiefs of Police Association, in some instances, the Department of Safety itself, which is under Lee's control. TBI testified against the bill, and then you have the Moms Demand Action. But it, it could just be a personal preference on McNally's part that he's not responsive to his constituents. But clearly, these chairmen in the Senate were saying, we want more. We think we should have more. They didn't reference the fact that other bills were pending that would give them more. But they all clearly said it's the most we can obtain. And what another House don't, member don't, came don't and told you me, have a vote? I mean, is somebody... I mean, has somebody put your, you know what, in a little box? Are they keeping them in the office? And when the session's over, you get those two little puppies back? I mean, well, what, that, it, who, can you not just vote the way that your constituents want you to vote? I don't, I'm confused. Here was the balance because Speaker Sexton referenced this when he's talking on the radio. He said, you know, we got, I think, 73 House Republicans. And he said, if this thing goes to the floor, we're probably going to have 62 or 63 to vote in support of it, as is. If it's a handgun only, 21 and up, and has all these other restrictions, some of which don't even exist in federal law that they've imposed on this. And he told the host on the radio, and it's on our website because we, we downloaded the entire audio clip, if we make it a, a, a anyone who legally possesses standard, which is what the Second Amendment calls for, and if we make it an any firearm standard, he says, we likely will not have enough votes in the Republican caucus to get to 50 and pass it. So Speaker Sexton knows who these holdouts are. And yet I'm not seeing anything in the news. Let him vote on it. Him. Let him vote on it. I mean, I don't, that's the thing that I don't get it. You know, he's up there playing maestro. I think the, the, the citizens would be better served if people just, if you don't like it, then damn, go out there and vote for it. That's should, right. Put it out there. Yes or no. So people that was our call. Put it on the board and let them vote. And if it fails this year, it fails. But at least the voters will know going into 2022 who the ones are that blocked it and can work to, you know, find challengers and get rid of them. And right now we've got the problem that's what led into this discussion is that the legislators in the caucus, they protect, they circle like water buffaloes and they protect everybody, including the rhinos. And they don't really want us to know who the rhinos are because they'd rather have them in their caucus and use them when they need them than to expose them and let us get rid of them. And I think it's doing a great disservice. And it's one of the major factors that, that causes us so much problem problems over the last 11 years now of, of getting actual Second Amendment legislation all the way through the General Assembly. So your tactics processes, you know, so many of our subscribers are, if, if you are subscribing to our publication, you're weird because you care about state and local issues and nobody else does. Let's just be honest, okay? Everybody's watching the national drama because, you know, Chuck, Nancy, and everybody else are developed characters in this soap opera that's called politics that, that we like to watch in the, in the political nerd club, and I'm, I'm a member, okay? But then, you know, the political nerd club for state and local is like very small. We could all meet in a phone booth in most areas. And so if you're watching this, like you really do care about this stuff. 
and if and if you and if you're on our list. And so, what what is the best thing if you're just a regular old everyday average Second Amendment activist or just somebody of general interest and you want to be effective? What should they do? Well, that's a, a very difficult you know, tasks to undertake, but it's one that TFA focuses on and we try to make it easy because if you, if you compare our reports on our website and on our email system of the legislation with the reports you get from some national fundraising groups that dabble in second amendment issues when they're not in bankruptcy, what you'll find out is we have a greater tendency of specifically identifying who's doing and saying what in the committees and in the subcommittees. We, we, we place as much verifiable data as possible about the actors in our reports. And then what happens is, because we've also got the pack, once we identify the low hanging fruit, because it's a 3D chess game to, to some extent, we'll support somewhere between 20 and 40 candidates every two years and a lot of those are challengers going after incumbents. Now, you're going to have incumbents that you really want to get because they are rhinos and they are troublemakers. You just may not have a candidate that you can run against them or one that's viable enough to win. But when we can find that magic um, environment where we've got a strong challenger that we can help raise money. They've got to be able to raise money on their own because we're not going to totally fund it. They've got to be able to be uh, self-sustaining, but we'll support them. And then we put our PAC contribution donor list out on our website in advance of the elections so people can look and see who are we supporting. And, and then looking at our reports, they'll see why. They'll see that people like Senator John Stevens has killed a bill or Senator John Lungberg has killed a bill or Senator um, Todd Gardenhire down in Chattanooga has voted against the bills. You know, we, for example, on the governor's bill, even though we weren't a big supporter of it, we reported specifically that Brian Kelsey, uh, Briggs and uh, Matthews all voted against the, the bill on the Senate floor, even though it wasn't even a strong bill. And then we specifically named the House members when it came through that voted against the bill. Now, those are clear indicators of outright rhinos, but there are others because you got to look down in the committee levels and see who's causing the problems there. Yeah, that's the, the issue is all the real troublemakers are in the committees. In the they are. They are. That's, and that's, that's what we're discovering slowly but surely here. And uh, I got put on the House caucus no talkie to list pretty early on, which is fine with me, you know. And it's because they want they want all this liberal fanfare, which they rarely ever get, and uh, they don't want to be held account to be conservative. So I mean, that's that's where all the real. I mean, because if it gets on the floor, at least it's like, okay, you voted against it. Now we can put it on a campaign sign, or put it in an ad, or put it in a mailer, and stick it everywhere. But when you screw around with it in committee, I think when they vote against it in committee, that it should be used similarly. And if I were running for office and I were running against them, that's something I would definitely lean on, and then make them you know, explain. And in politics, when you're explaining, you're losing. Um, and that's true. And in the, in the House committees, as you know, there, there's generally, there's not a roll call vote. So what we've started doing within TFA is we've got a couple of spotters that watch the video streams. And if they're important video streams, we'll go back and, and we figured out now, because they make it hard, how to download the entire committee hearing audio video clip 
And then we've got some video editors that'll go in and will cut for us just the segments where, for example, Representative Jerry Sexton makes a great speech about the obstructionist of the Tennessee Sheriff's Association. So we start, we've started clipping and compiling those audio records. And we do the same thing when, when speakers get up in those committees and they say things that reflect what their true convictions are as opposed to how their votes reflect. Well, here's what I, you know, it's not only that you've got rhinos in there, it's like rhinos are taking orders from government and semi-government organizations primarily to, to defraud Tennesseans of their rights and liberties. And it's amazing to me. It's like we just, and this is not, not your bailiwick, but all of this medical freedom stuff that's been stuck in house, you know, committees like Robin Smith. It's a lot of money from these PACs. And I can, I can read somebody's financial disclosures like tea leaves. And you can tell all of the money, like one out of every $3 comes from these medical associations. Well, they're all in bed with the government. They get, you know, when, when some kind of law passes, they hear cash registers and Pfizer and Merck and all those other people. And you've got other people uh, that are, you know, Bo Watson in the Senate that are employed by the medical community, receive tons of donations from the medical community. And so with the medical community, which is all tied up in the government and the constituents are like this, they try to get in those committees and subcommittees and, and ride herd for, for, the, for the medical overlords. And, um, and the same thing I assume happens with folks that are on safety committees that get checks from sheriff's packs and unions and whoever else that are in the government. And it's so funny that the government can both unionize, give money and lobby people. And instead of like going with your constituents, you go with them. I'm like, good grief. I mean, we got they're usually doing it with taxpayer dollars. Yes, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, it is a good deal if you can get it. And uh, it's just amazing to me. Um, so is there anything else, if you're looking down the road a couple of years, uh, or even within just this legislative session, what's the most important thing that, that people need to know? What can they do to take action, so on and so forth? One thing that people need to know is, is when they see it on the news and they hear their, their legislators coming back and saying, I voted for constitutional carry, that it's propaganda. They didn't do it. They blocked that issue from getting to the floor so far. What they voted for was a, was a highly regulated permitless carry bill that's got a lot of infringements on it. And fair enough, they voted for it and they passed it. And, and, there might be some Tennesseans that benefit from it, but it's not true constitutional carry. But there's some other bills that are still running that, that I think are good bills people need to be aware of because they do need phone calls from constituents. There's a bill running by Representative uh, Chris Todd that will uh, improve substantially the civil immunity standards in Tennessee for someone who's involved in a self-defense shooting. Tennessee... Uh, is, does not have a strong law on that right now. There are seven states that have much stronger laws, and, and there's a bill that he's carrying that would improve Tennessee substantially. Uh, Representative Reedy had a good law based upon the riots and the mob activity that we've seen in Missouri, for example, with the McCluskeys, but also in Nashville where they burned the courthouse that would have allowed the use of deadly force up to a limit to protect private property, businesses, inventory, even your home, because that's illegal now in Tennessee. Uh, that bill did not even get a Senate sponsor this year for some peculiar reason. 
you know, we expect to see it back next year and we'll push that issue. Uh, there's a bill that would make it a uh, civil rights violation for a local government entity to deny a group or an entity the rental of government property, say a fairgrounds, because they're running a hunting show uh, or a gun show or any kind of firearms related activity. That's not illegal now in Tennessee. This bill would potentially change that and make it a civil rights violation. So we're tracking about 53 bills. About 10 of those are really good. Most of them are just dumb bills or they're actually bad bills. Uh, and then of course, because this one fell short this year with the governor's bill, we're gonna be back next year if we don't get one of those other two through this year, pushing for real constitutional carry. And when the Speaker of the House says, we've got to keep fighting and pushing for it, uh, he knows good and well it's not been achieved yet. Hmm. So it's been a pleasure having you talk a little bit about how people can learn more about your organization, get involved with it, sign up, et cetera, because you know, a lot of people, as you mentioned, uh, the NRA is a, a great organization in, in some respects on the national level in that they, they do, do things at the national level that, that other organizations can't. They've had their struggles and issues as of late, big time. Uh, however, when the rubber meets the road here in Tennessee, which is likely where you're going to be impacted, um, not, not in Washington, um, we need a a state-focused organization, just like we need state-focused news publications. So how can people reach your uh, organization? How can they sign up? How can they get involved? At, at least get the email alerts or, or yeah. whatever it is that you do so people know when their, their gun rights are at risk or when there's an opportunity to advance or enshrine them. The, the main portal for our information sources is our website, tennesseefirearms.com. We post on it particularly when the legislature's in session, a couple of times a week with news updates. There were two today, for example. Uh, those news updates are free to everybody. You just go to the site and, and they're openly available. You can join TFA on the website. It's $35 a year, same rate it's been since the time we founded it in 95. So we haven't raised those rates. And it's not like you get a secret handshake or a special magazine by joining. All of your money goes to further the effort of improving the law because all the board members, all the executives in TFA are all volunteers. There's no seven-figure salary with a $300,000 expense account, uh, you know, in TFA. If I travel like I'm going to do to Sevierville this weekend to speak at a group, it's coming out of my pocket. TFA didn't even pick up my cost. So they can join and support on the TennesseeFirearms.com website. There's a subscribe button on there, which will let them get on the email list, which is free. Uh, there's a second website, TFALAC.org. That's TFALAC, which is Legislative Action Committee.org. That's the PAC. They can go there and make contributions directly to the PAC. All the money raised in the pack, because it doesn't have any executives either, are spent only on Tennessee races. There's not, you know, 50% of it going to an administrative fund in, you know, Virginia. Uh, all the money stays here. And then they need to start pressing their legislators, you know. Uh, they need to ask them, because they're going to tell you the legislators will when they can't, you know, campaign. I support the Second Amendment. I'm an NRA member. 
Well, that doesn't mean much these days because we don't know what they think the Second Amendment stands for. And we really don't know what they think the NRA is accomplishing if this is the best they could do as the governor's bill this year. And, and I think that's important for your listeners to understand. There were TFA and, and three national organizations working on this bill this year. TFA, the only state organization, Gun Owners of America, which was aligned with TFA on it needs to be a real constitutional carry. National Association with Gun Rights, NAGAR, which was aligned with TFA that it needs to be real constitutional carry. And then there was one outlier, the NRA. And the NRA had a part-time lobbyist uh, working the bill. And, and that would be okay, because that's what they've had in the past. Tennessee is not one of their high-profile states. So they typically always have a part-time lobbyist that covers Tennessee and three or four other states. But your lobbyist needs to be able and willing to hold the legislators and the governor accountable for actually doing the right thing. And one of the concerns we've had for two years on that issue is the current lobbyist was a paid campaign staffer for the lieutenant governor. He wow. used to be the Senate Republican caucus propaganda manager. Uh, I think he calls him communications director. <laughs> and, he, and he was hired directly off Bill Lee's governor staff. Now, I don't care how nice a guy he is. Those are conflicts of interest by affiliation that, as a practical matter, likely preclude the ability to honestly disclose to the membership, the, the NRA's membership, which I'm one of, what's really happening and who the rhinos are and who the stonewallers are and where the roadblocks are when you don't pass true constitutional carry. Uh, and that's one reason Tennessee Firearms Association has to fight even harder and develop these relationships with GOA, NAGAR, SAF, FPC, and the others is because we've got to overcome this mindset that a lot of people, low information voters have, that we don't need to worry about Tennessee because the NRA is taking care of it. Well, the, the, the more local you can get and, and the closer you can get to the action, because it takes a lot of horsepower mentally, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of money to keep up with the minutia. And when you got 50 states to manage, and when Tennessee is thought of as being, you know, this gun sanctuary, which it isn't, um, yeah. and comparatively speaking to other places, but, you know, it, it's not what it needs to be. It's not as good as, as some other states. Um, it's very difficult when, you, when you've got your, your focus split five ways, and, you know, we're probably 48th or 45th on the list. And so you need you need organizations and people and publications that that care about this stuff and focus on it. So give me that website one more time, John. Tennessee Firearms, spell it all out. dot com is the main portal. TFALAC.org is the pack, and then Tennessee Firearms on Facebook has got about ten thousand members in it that is extremely active with questions and answers. Very good, guys. So if you would, go check out those resources. John, we appreciate you being here, buddy. And if you have enjoyed this program like I have, uh, please do go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com. You can sign up for our e-newsletter. We send the news out every day around lunchtime, and uh, we try to cover all the state and local uh, issues along with a sprinkling of national just to keep your attention 
and you can go there for all of your uh, rhino hunting supplies, which is primarily uh, information and a little bit of action. John, thanks again, buddy. We appreciate you. Thank you very much for doing this today. Thank you, bud.